Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Providence Journal presents Nick and Bob, the college basketball podcast for Rhode Island and around the nation with your hosts, Kevin McNamara and Bill Koch. Hello and welcome to the Providence Journal's Pick and Pop podcast, our weekly look at college basketball here in Rhode Island and around the country. Uh, this is Kevin McNamara, sports columnist here at the Journal, and I have my friend Bill Koch along for the podcast and the home stretch is in view. Today is March, Bill. March first, Kevin Mack. Yes, March madness, March sadness for uh, for Paula. But uh, you know that's that, I'm stealing that from Bill Reynolds. Bill Reynolds, right? Always used to say uh, March is a sadness for the uh, the better halves of college basketball writers. But hey, such is life. At the very least, perhaps maybe you might be able to take Paula to the Big East tournament. She can hang out in New York for a few days. Uh, she's done that before. She's done that before. But uh, just a thought. Yeah, we'll we'll hit the Big East tournament in a little bit because uh, we don't know how long. Any of our teams are going to be playing postseason basketball, but uh, we're actually going to start with the with the URI Rams, who are on the road tonight at Dayton. And uh, interesting times for the Rams because number one, they're coming off a win, a eighty to fifty three shellacking of the woeful George Washington Colonials, who, by the way, I think are probably looking at a coaching change at the end of this year. It's not looking good, unfortunately. For the yes, Colonials. Um, but, uh, Bill, you were in Kingston for that one. Uh, just complete domination by the Rams. Got, got to hand it to them because coming in with a five-game losing streak, I think we all knew that they were better than GW, but they really took it to them. Two real positive signs out of this. They made shots and they defended. And those were two things that had sort of gone sideways during that five-game losing streak. Uh, URI made 10 three-pointers in the game. The first time they've had double-digit makes since opening night against Bryant. It's taken that long. Their struggles have been uh, that pronounced at that end of the floor. And I think a lot of that came from the energy that they showed on defense. A a season-high 15 steals. Uh, four apiece for Fats Russell and Christian Thompson, who came off the bench and, and had a nice game. And I think what we've seen while Rhodey has had its difficulties here is the fact that they can't make shots has sort of hurt them mentally. They've gone down to the other end defensively and yielded a little bit. That's not necessarily something that we saw the last two or three years. They'd be able to play through those barren stretches. Uh, you know. But the other night, maybe something that they can build on over the last two or three games. That's really the way that they have to spin it going forward. And uh, it was funny. I heard David Cox talking afterwards, and he was praising his team's defense. Uh, and at this stage of the season, you know, both sides of the ball have been a problem. I, I was more encouraged by 80 points, uh, 80 points and uh, 10 three-point shots. I, I didn't know that that was possible. No. Like I said, it, it's been a long time, and if you look at, the three-point shooting, they're last in the nation still in three-point shooting, still below 27%. But you could see the difference in the feeling, in the mentality, when they made a few shots early. Uh, they started off 50% from the field very early on, uh, ended up 
at 56.3% in the first half. They were 7 for 14 from 3. And you could just see that they had a different air, a different vibe around the bench and around the guys on the floor. And you know, Kevin, as you know, confidence is it takes a long time to build and not very long to lose. And, and this team has looked like a team that has played without confidence for a long time. Uh Tonight at Dayton, uh, difficult spot for the Rams for a lot of reasons. Number one is Dayton needs needs the win. Um, we'll talk about the uh, NCA chances of some of these teams in a bit, but they still have a chance to win the conference uh, championship, which would be a really impressive bounce back. Uh, campaign for Anthony Grant's team. Yep, they need a little help. Uh, they're eleven and four in the league. They're two games behind VCU, uh, and they lost to VCU at home, so they don't have the tiebreaker either. But your point is well taken. For them to be back in contention and and having transfers sitting out for next year, uh, this is a team on the rise. And, and realistically, Kevin, I, I think it's a a good lesson maybe for some po- some folks who follow the A10. When you spend and you have infrastructure like VCU and like Dayton, you're just not going to be down for very long. Mm-hmm. Oh, there's no question. And anyone who thought that a coaching change, when you lose a coach like Archie Miller, you're bound to have a speed bump season. And it was only one, which is, again, I credit Grant for making it only a one-season bump on the road. This is what, And this is really what obviously tied in with Rhode Island. That's what... Rhode Island would like to avoid. You know, this year is maybe just a bump in the road. Uh, that's what certainly David Cox is hoping. What you do when you're Dayton or when you're VCU and you have practice facility and you spend on recruiting and you spend more money on your coaching staff is you raise the floor. That bump is only going to go so low. Even last year, you know, Dayton and VCU were still at or around or above 500 uh, and we're still able to recruit, bring in transfers, bring in guys who could play and who would have them at the top of the league this season. And, and I think you know it's a good lesson for, for URI and for URI fans. If you want those lows not to be as severe, you need to continue to build your program to the point where it can survive regardless of who coaches it. A mm-hmm. uh, little bit on the NCAA tournament with um, Dayton. I'm not quite sure who they have the rest of the way. Maybe you can assist me with that one besides obviously Rhode Island tonight. But uh, the Flyers right now are 66th in the net with um, only one quad one win. And, and I think that's that's the the big issue with uh, the fly, uh, Flyers right now. And then uh, Davidson is at 75 in the net, and they have zero quad one wins. And I think you said the whole league only has a, a handful. Uh, at one point, it was a couple weeks ago, I checked. The Atlantic 10 was 3-36 and 36 against quad one, mm-hmm. which is just not going to impress the committee. Uh, Dayton the rest of the way, they have Rhode Island, LaSalle, and Duquesne. So no more opportunities to pick up a win that, that's going to move the needle. That's going to have to happen at, in Brooklyn at the NCAA, at uh, the Atlantic 10 tournament. Right. Uh, Dayton is one and five against Quadrant One. Their only win was at Davidson, who right now is seventy-five. If Davidson were to lose again, they're going to fall out. Dayton would lose their only Quad One win. I see. Yep. Um, so really, you know, the Atlantic Ten. If VCU goes to Brooklyn and wins the tournament, the Atlantic Ten is going to be a one bid league. Yeah, I, I, I'm not ruling out Dayton uh, at at this stage, uh, but they got a lot of work to do, and obviously that would. Uh, They'd have to beat VCU, uh, maybe even if they don't meet them in the finals, the semifinals, but at least it would give them something to bargain with. I, I don't know if it's even possible. You, you, 
as a seeding stand right now, you'd end up playing Davidson in the semifinals. That'd be a neutral court win, but they're outside the top 50. It'd be a quadrant two win. Wouldn't even give you another quad one. Right. So then you'd end up playing VCU in the final. You win that, it's the auto bid anyway. Yep. Uh, so I don't really see a path for, for either of the other two A-10 teams, Davidson or Dayton, to be selected as an at-large. Mm-hmm. It, it just doesn't exist. Um, Going to switch to the Friars uh, now. Providence is coming off a victory at Butler. Uh, and the Friars have kind of been very inconsistent uh, this last stretch, uh, really playing poorly at home. They got whacked by Marquette last uh, Saturday and then turn around and go on the road and play a team that they're going to play twice in the last uh, three games, which is really odd. But uh, they win at Hinkle Fieldhouse in overtime, 73 67. Uh, interesting game because Providence jumped on Butler early and kind of never let the Bulldogs back in until the last couple minutes. <laughs> right. When Providence has had season long issues closing out games, and same this one. They were up seven with just inside two minutes to go, and uh, everything went right for bull, uh, the Bulldogs down the stretch to force overtime. Then in overtime, Providence dominated. And uh, I, I give Ed Cooley a lot of credit. He, he's done two things in the last couple of games. Number one, he shortened his bench. And, um, you know, at this stage of the game, I, I think you want to give as much time as you can to A.J. Reeves and David Duke and Nate Watson and those young guys and, and just build their confidence. And that's that paid off uh, big time in this game. Uh, I think. Uh, and they also uh, finally got some shots from Isaiah Jackson, their, their lone senior. Uh, he hit two huge threes in the overtime. And uh, Cooley said afterwards, uh, when we play well, Isaiah usually plays well. And he's had a really struggling shooting season, especially in the Big East play. And a lot of reasons the Friars are flirting with last place in the in the Big East and uh, you know seniors who don't produce it's always atop the list two guys made Kevin McNamara look really smart in this game Uh you you wrote about Nate Watson leading into it the fact that he has emerged Um, generally when I write stories like that the guy goes out and goes one for nine the Koch curse (laughs) something like that Uh, but he goes out with another huge night 21 points eight for ten shooting made all his free throws five for five at the line Uh, has really turned into to what you would hope and expect a top 100 recruit to look like in the second half of his sophomore year. There have been times in in these last five or six games where he has been dominant in the paint uh, and is definitely a cornerstone piece going forward for Providence to build around. The second guy who you were on this very early in the year, you called him their barometer player, was Isaiah Jackson. Um, When Isaiah Jackson plays well, Providence tends to win games. They tend to be able to beat teams. He's that third or fourth option on a given night that good teams have, that that sort of depth. Um, The shot that he made, the three-pointer in overtime, that they pretty much iced it, Mm. uh, saw the highlight and thought to myself, it was a really deep look. It was about, you know, Steph Curry range, 27, 28 feet. But Butler made the cardinal mistake of not guarding the inbounder Mm. after he passed the ball in. And Jackson stepped in, got about as good a look as Providence would have got with a short clock, and he knocked it down with some confidence. It was very impressive. Yep, a a clutch play. Uh, Really a devastating loss for Butler, which, uh, I'll be honest with you, I wasn't impressed by them at all. Uh, You know, I watched these teams all season long but until you see a team live 
you get a real uh, you know feel for them. Just physically, they they're just not as big and strong at all as Providence. I sent you a text during the game. I'm more entertained watching Georgetown. I, I don't really yeah. care what the numbers say. I would much rather see Georgetown play. Uh, you know, in March Madness than, than Butler, you know, and I look at Butler's resume here, mm. 15 and 13 overall, they're two and eight against quadrant one. Uh, and one of those was a win at Georgetown is in the seventies and the net, they could drop out of quadrant one at some point here if they have a bad loss. Uh, Butler also five and four against quadrant two. Um, you know, they're 54 overall in the net. They're a team that I've seen in a lot of brackets at this point, but I just, yeah. you know, I understand that it's a weak bubble and that you're going to have some teams at the bottom that, that don't necessarily pass the eye test or have great overall records. But I look at Butler and I just don't see it. So let's talk the NCAA tournament a little bit here, Bill. So Because the Big East is going to be heavily scrutinized here. Oh, right? I think it's a, a good segue here. Well, so right now Marquette and Villanova are in the tournament. No question. Uh, tied a half game apart at the top of the Big East, so we'll see what happens down the stretch. Side note on that. Yeah. Your thoughts on Villanova-Marquette. My, my one takeaway was the Wildcats were not going to give up the regular season title on their whole, on their home floor. I think that was the one thing I took out of that. Well, I, I had a couple things. Jermaine Samuels, uh, I've literally seen since he was in like the sixth grade. Uh, he's from Franklin, Mass., and he came in averaging four points, and he had twenty nine. Unbelievable! And you know what did he drink? You know, coming into that one, and Eric Pascal had four points, and they beat you know the first place team in the league. So right. I, Villanova has been really inconsistent uh, in the last couple of weeks. They lost three in a row, and then won one on the you know at the buzzer. So uh, you know, an interesting team because I, I don't love them, and I you know I think Marquette's the best team in the league, uh, and I don't love them. But right. it's a strange country right now uh, in is. the college basketball world. But the rest of the Big East, no one else is above 500 as we speak. Uh, St. John's and Xavier are at 8-8. Eight and eight. Everyone else is below 500. Boy, Xavier is, is ruining some brackets here and some NCAA hopes with well, what they're doing lately. And, and this is why I bring it up. So anyone, forget about the, the nets and the quad ones and watch the games. Right, Xavier is... Probably the third best team in the league right now. Yeah. So say they find their way into a first round bye and finish, you know, fourth or third in the Big East, and and this and then go to New York and you know lose in the semifinals. They would have finished like uh, won seven of their last eight, uh, beat Villanova, um, and yet you know the and I, I would imagine their net by that point would be you know skyrocketing but right now you can't put them in the tournament because the numbers say you can't put them in the tournament they're 71 on the net they have three quad one wins uh but bill this is a good team yeah they have talent there's no question about it uh you know they've sort of found it here late in the season under first year coach and travis Steele. and you know you don't lose guys like trevon blewett and just continue on i, I know xavier is recruited well and and you know obviously has good players but that guy was an all-time great player sure. in, in that program, and Chris Mack is an excellent coach. You know, Louisville is is fading a little bit here, uh, but he had them in position to be in the NCAA tournament pretty much a lock about two weeks ago. Yep. Um, you know, so you don't necessarily lose people like that out of your program and not feel it, uh, no matter how strong you are. And, and Xavier, you know, they've made this nice run late. The the win over Villanova obviously caught 
some attention, particularly the way they finished the second half. They just ran away and hid. Well, and last night they they beat St. John's by ten. One at St. John's, a, a St. John's team that you know was swept by Providence. They've been up and down. The yep. talent there is undeniable, uh, but the performance on a given night. You know, St. John's is a team you either really want to play or you don't want to play at all. There really is no in-between. You don't know what they're going to look like. Not a clue. And I I think St. John's will find their way into the tournament. But, again, what do you do about Xavier? Because they're going to keep winning. And I think they have St. John's again at home so they could, you know, bring a sweep of St. John's to New York. Uh, I I just – watch out for Xavier. I I think it's an interesting scenario because, again, the numbers say you can't put them in the tournament. But – Watch the games. I, I think the the one area that you would ding Xavier's resume, if you're looking to get rid of them, uh, is the non-conference strength of schedule. They're 158. Um, the only two quad one games that they played out of the league, they lost to Cincinnati by 15 and Auburn by nine. Uh, and sorry, Wisconsin by nine mm-hmm. as well. Uh, you know, quadrant two, they have a win over Illinois. They lost to Missouri. So out of the league they didn't really do a lot of work and and if you are a committee member and you're looking at the Big East and you're going to take the negative view and say these are a lot of mediocre teams beating up on each other there's not necessarily great teams like there were last year the 8 and 8 or 9 and 9 isn't as impressive as it was last year or the year before you might think along the lines of let's just leave them all out because none of them are any good. Mm-hmm. The defender of the Big East would say, no, actually, every night is a tough game, and they're actually all very good, and you should be impressed by the fact that all three of Xavier's Quadrant 1 wins and a bunch of theirs in Quad 2 are against in-conference opposition. It means that they don't play anyone weak in the league. Yeah, and um, you know, against the top of the league, they would have potentially two wins over St. John's and one over Villanova. Correct. Those teams are in the tournament. So, Correct. Uh, we'll, we'll see. We'll see how it shakes out. But I, I do think that um, an awful lot of Big East teams will be closely scrutinized. I, I think Georgetown is, is is coming hard. Seton Hall has been there a while. But I do think that Butler and, uh, you know, strangely enough, Creighton is still very high in the net. And I, I, I don't understand why, <laughs> um, you know, that they have a good uh, strength of schedule. Uh, and that's the only thing that's keeping them there. They're six and nine in the Big East, and fourteen and thirteen overall. And they're fifty-seven. It, it's you know, fine. Okay, you played a lot of good teams, and you lost to them, and still get credit for it. Which that's the old RPI uh, push, right? Yeah, they they, they sort of game the system. They're, you know, they've played. Let's see. They've played 27 games, and 12 of them have been against Quadrant 1 opponents. Wow. Uh, they yeah. have a win against Clemson and a win at Georgetown. Uh, in Quadrant 2, <laughs> their Quadrant 2 wins are East Tennessee State, who's actually 65 in the net, and a, a dangerous team. If, if you see them as a double-digit seed in March Madness, uh, be careful. Um, but non-conference, you know, Creighton. 25 in strength of schedule. That means there aren't necessarily any marquee games there, but they weren't playing five or six 300-plus teams in the net, which I I think is very intelligent scheduling by Greg McDermott. You're not necessarily going to get a marquee opponent to go to Omaha, so let's play maybe teams from lower leagues who just aren't going to be dreadful and and not sink our numbers. Well, I think I figured it out uh, just looking at uh, at the – nitty-gritty by the NCA. So Creighton has 10 quad one losses. Correct. And they're 57. Correct. Penn State has 11 quad one losses. They're, they're 50. 
Right. They're 5 and 12 right. in their league, and they're 50. Nebraska has 11 quad one losses, and they're 49th. They're 5 and 13 in the Big Ten. So basically, what they're saying is if you play a lot of good teams and lose to them, you're not going to get dinged. Which And I, if you win I, those I, I games, well, but you, don't. you get you, the benefit. But you didn't. So Well, you rarely win. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you rarely win. But, uh, so again, this is the first year of this net system, and uh, I, I, I like it. Uh, nothing's perfect. This is far from perfect, uh, and it'll be really interesting to see uh, how you know the selection committee weeds through all the issues uh, well, by, in a couple of weeks. By trying to add efficiency, what you were trying to do is, is to more accurately gauge the teams from the sort of lower conferences. You could look at Gonzaga and say, well, they're not playing anyone. Mm-hmm. Well. That might be true, but if they're averaging a certain number of points per possession and giving up a certain number of points per possession, and you know their turnovers are what they are, and and you know you wade a little deeper into the numbers, not only are they just beating teams, but they you could make a reasonable calculation that they would be beating better teams mm-hmm. regularly. That's what the net was designed to do. They wanted to bring that in and, and sort of avoid having a Wichita State team who was 10 overall and Ken Palm be a 7 seed in the NCAA tournament. Mm-hmm. If you're a 1 or a 2 or a 3 seed, you're going to look and say, well, that's not fair. We don't want to play them in the second round. They're underseeded. Uh, the, the downside of that is sort of how you or I gamed the system last year where they played a bunch of teams in the non-conference who they knew were going to win or contend in lower leagues that helped their RPI sit at you know, 15, 20 mm-hmm. throughout the season. It was really smart by our old friend Mike LaPrey, who, who was one of the chief architects of, of that schedule. And I think the net ratings being what they are now, a few of the teams that you mentioned there, Nebraska and, and Penn State, are in the Big Ten. The Big Ten's really strong this year, so teams aren't necessarily being dinged for losing games in conference. They're, they're going to be given credit for winning games instead. Their overall strength of schedule is going to be very good. And there's uh, several teams from the lower conferences who are in really good shape. Uh, well, first of all, because they've won a lot of games. Uh, one would be uh, Wofford. Wofford is 18th in the net. Buffalo is 15 in the net. Um, there was one other that Nevada's uh, in there. Nevada, nineteen in the net with zero quad one wins. But uh, obviously they're they're playing well, and uh, I think the seeding will be really really uh, interesting. Um, Bill, a uh, little bit on Bryant. Uh, hmm. They won by losing last night. They did. Uh, they will be in the Northeast Conference tournament. They'll play a road game next. I believe it's Wednesday. Um, after finishing up their regular season this weekend, uh, obviously uh, a great achievement by the Bulldogs uh, coming off a you know three four win season to be back in the uh, in the postseason. Yeah, I got some great news when they came off the floor the other night. Uh, Central Connecticut and Mount St. Mary's had both lost, which gives Bryant a two game lead for the last spot in the NEC tournament with one game to go. Um, you know, and as you said, just a, a nice turnaround. Uh, you know, in one season, obviously not all the way there yet. Uh, you're you're not an NEC contender. It'd be very surprising if you you know were to run off a couple road wins in the conference tournament somehow make the conference final. I don't think anyone is is saying that or seeing that. Uh, but for Bryant, who had three wins last year and, and two in the league. Um, to do what they've done this year, as you've mentioned, had players healthy and, and played well this season. Uh, it's something to build on going forward. And, you know, it'll give Jared Grasso and the, the guys he has coming back some real postseason exposure here mm-hmm. uh, so that when they are better 
and they feel like they're in a position to win those games, it's not going to be the first time. That feeling won't be something new. I, I think there's a lot of value to be derived from what's going to happen next week. Yeah, we'll see where uh, where they go. The uh, Northeast Conference regular season ends this weekend, so uh, the bracket should be clear by late Saturday night, I guess. Uh, and then a very big weekend at Brown. Uh, the Bears, with their first home sweep in a, in league play in three years last mm-hmm. weekend, uh, by beating yeah. Harvard in a game that I was at, and uh, really entertaining uh, effort. And uh, Desmond Cambridge was big time. He had 30 points and uh, carried the Bears to a victory there. And then uh, a little bit more of a grinding affair with a win over Dartmouth on Saturday night. And that's just in the, in the Ivy League, all you do is if you win, it just ratchets up uh, the importance of the following weekend. And uh, Brown will host uh, Columbia Friday night and Cornell on Saturday night. And needless to say, needs to win both. They're, they're right now tied for fourth place. And uh, the top four teams go to the Ivy Tournament. So it's uh, it's going to be tight the next two weekends. And Desmond Cambridge pulled on that Superman cape just in time mm. for the Bears. Uh, they'd been waiting for a game like this from him all season, really, uh, since they got an Ivy League play. And realistically, if you're going to beat a team like Harvard, who Brown had lost 19 in a row to, is that correct? 19 in a row and hadn't won since 2001? Something crazy like that. Been a while. Yeah. Um, you know, so you need that guy to go out and have 30 points and be five for eight from three. It's a, you know, a place where he has struggled uh, against Ivy League opponents this year. Just just has not played well. We've we've talked about that. But in order for Brown to contend at the top of the league, they were always going to need him to be one of the best players in the league. Uh, and and he showed his class uh, against Harvard the next night. You get the sort of win that you need to be in contention. Uh, you know, didn't necessarily have their best, emptied the tank a lot against Harvard, and was still able to hang on against Dartmouth. Uh, and now you sit there at five and five. Um, you're tied with Cornell for that fourth spot in the Ivy League tournament. Uh, realistically, you're probably not going to catch Harvard or Princeton for two, three, if, unless no. you get some help. Um, so it's going to be between Brown, Cornell, and Penn. Five and five, five and five, four and six. Brown plays the Big Red this Saturday. They play Penn next weekend on the road. Mm-hmm. Uh, these two games at home, games that they really need to put in the bank, they can't be relying on getting a sweep at Penn and at Princeton to try and get in the tournament. No, uh, obviously one of the toughest trips there is, you know, Penn-Princeton. Uh, Brown has only swept down there once ever. Uh, and certainly don't Ever? Want, really? Ever. I mean, it was, it was, actually, I think Mike Martin was on the team because I remember Glenn, wow. Glenn Miller was the coach. Um, they were in the running. Earl Hunt was the star of the team. and Oh, sure, Mike, yeah. Mike was the tough defensive guard uh, who could make some shots, but he was the tough defensive guard on, on some really good teams. Earl Hunt was taking most of the shots on yeah, those teams, and rightly so. Every, everyone figured that out quickly. Yeah. 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 Um, but it'll be interesting to see uh, if, if Brown can keep it going. And uh, you, you hit it on the head. Uh, they said before the Harvard game, we just don't – we need the big dog to, to play. Yeah. And uh, – uh, Cambridge uh, hit a lot of tough shots in that Harvard game. Uh, it'll be interesting to see if he can put two together this weekend. Well, I, I can't imagine that he was scoring because Harvard wasn't guarding him. No, no, <laughs> no, no, was... no. He, they, they were all over him, but uh, fallaways. You know, when Desmond Cambridge is good, he makes difficult shots. He, he actually, I, I think he's. Uh, he he, he makes, he's, he's better making tough shots than wide open ones. He makes en- odd. he makes NBA shots. Yeah, when he's good. Yeah, 
His offensive skill level is that high. I just think that, you know, like Rhode Island as a team, I, I think he was just in a little bit of a crisis of confidence there for a while. You know, you miss a few shots against Yale. The first game, you go down to Yale, you have another bad game, you start to press a little bit, you're taking some off-balance threes. There are shots that maybe you make before, and now all of a sudden you're not, and you start to question why, and, you know, that becomes a snowball. Well, I don't know if you saw my story, but uh, he's a different kid. A little bit, yes. And he says, uh, well, uh, the day before, so Thursday, uh, I went to the chiropractor. Right. And, you know, he's working on me and said, uh, are you in a slump? <laughs> yes. And he's on the table. He's like, well, how do you know that? He says, I-, I could just tell something's wrong with you. Really? Yeah. And wow. sure enough, well, next day he scores 30 points. So I would imagine he's at the chiropractor as we speak. Can this guy help me with my golf swing? <laughs> like, I, I gladly go see him. Yeah, we, uh, we'll we get the name and bring it on the podcast. How's that? Please. Please. I mean, if he'd like to sponsor a segment, we're, we're glad to uh, give him some run. Absolutely. Uh, that is it, folks. Uh, hope you enjoyed this week's uh, Pick and Pop podcast. We'll be back next week and uh, enjoy because March is here.